0: today we are talking about understanding the Great Commission. Understanding the Great Commission. You've heard of that term before, the Great Commission. Believe it or not, there are some groups within the, the body of Christ today who don't believe, it's kind of crazy, but they they don't believe that the Great Commission is for us today. That is just not true. All right. If you're honest with Scripture, if you're Unbiased. if you didn't get your point of view from some book somewhere, but you just follow the Word of God, you'll see very clearly that it is for today. And what God has called us to do in the Great Commission is no different than what he's called the church to do today. Understand this. When Jesus came to earth the first time, he came offering the kingdom. And by the way, that's Matthew is presenting Jesus as the king. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Wait till next week. When Jesus came to earth the first time, he came offering the kingdom. It was a real offer. It was a real offer, but the Lord knew what they would do with the offer. Now that's the difference between him knowing something, that's foreknowledge, and him making something happen. God did not make the rejection of Jesus Christ happen. He knew it was going to happen. It was all, it fit into his plan. So understand that. But it was never God's will for the Jews to reject Jesus Christ. Jesus made that very clear as he was crying over Jerusalem in Matthew 23. And he says, how often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks, right? But you would not. You would not. They rejected him. So it was a real offer, but the Lord knew what they would do. The vast majority of the Jewish people rejected him. And of course, when you reject the king, you do not get his kingdom. As a result of that, and in the plan of God, the Jews would come under judgment and be scattered throughout the world until the last days when they would be called back. And that's where we're living today because the Jews are back In the Lamb. In the meantime, in the meantime, the Lord unveiled something called the church, made up of Jew and Gentile, and commissioned the church to reach the world for him. That's the Great Commission. We have that commission, that responsibility, those marching orders, so to speak. We call it the Great Commission. What are we commissioned to do? Well, there's mainly two things that we are commissioned to do. And with that in mind, turn with me over to Mark chapter 16. The first thing we are commissioned to do, we are to preach the gospel of salvation to the world. Mark sixteen fifteen, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, the reason we're supposed to... And it means people, obviously. If you're preaching the gospel to a chameleon or a gecko, it probably won't do a lot, okay? So we know it's talking about people. Preach the gospel to every creature. Now, if we are to preach to everyone... That means everyone can be saved. Otherwise, why are we doing it? This is not a game. This is serious. This is the difference between heaven and hell. So we see that. Now, we're to preach the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? Well, the word gospel means good news. Good news. See, what God is offering mankind is good news. Now, with that, I want you to turn with me over to Romans chapter 1. And in Romans chapter 1, we start seeing a little bit about this thing called the gospel, this good news. It's a message. And it says in Romans 1.16, Paul said this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So what exactly is the good news? Well, the good news is this. We are sinners incapable, well, it's bad news first. We are sinners incapable of saving ourselves. I use the illustration often. If this hand represents you and me and let my wallet represent our sins, we all sin. The Bible says that for all of sin, come short of the glory of God. The message of the Bible is this. God loves us. He hates our sin, but he can't just let you into heaven the way you are because he is also a God, not only of love, but also of justice. We have violated his word. We've broken his commandments. Okay. We're an offense to his holiness. God cannot let us into heaven with our sin. Our sin has to be gone. If we die with our sin, we will die and spend forever separated from God in a literal hell. This is bad news. See, heaven's a perfect place for you to get in. You have to be sinless, and yet none of us are. So we have a serious problem. We're separated from God. So what are we gonna do? Well, a lot of people think, well, okay, I will do good works. I'll make a commitment to live in a right way. And by the way, living in a right way is a good thing to do, but it won't get you to heaven. It won't save you. It's certainly a better way to do. Listen, anybody who lives a life of good works is living a better life than somebody who goes out and lives a life of crime. You reap what you sow, but living a good life won't pay for sin. We need a payment for sin. And so what are we gonna do? Well, there's nothing we can do in ourselves because the wages of sin is death. If we die, To pay for our sin, that means we're separated from God forever, and God doesn't want that for us. So now comes the good news. The gospel of Christ. God loves us, hates our sin, because there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. That is why he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, this hand representing him. You notice he has no sin. He's God. And therefore, because he had no sin, he was qualified to pay for our sin. He's a sinless man who could be a substitute. Sinless because he's God, the God-man, the only one who's ever been and ever will be. So when Jesus went to the cross, he took our sin upon himself and he made the complete payment for our sin, past, present, and future sin, all of the sin of your whole life. Jesus has already paid for it. He was buried, died, was buried, came back from the dead. And he says, if you will believe, put your faith in him that he did that for you, He'll give you as a gift everlasting life. He gives you salvation. Salvation. You notice, I'm not ashamed. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why would we be if it's a message that brings eternal salvation? For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that does what? Believes. Not believes and gets baptized, believes and promises to live a clean life, believes and is sorry for his sins, believes and tries to get rid of his sin. No, it's faith alone and Christ alone that brings salvation. To the Jew first, also to the Greek. See, in Romans chapter 5, and verse 8, it says this, it says, but God commended or displayed his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Folks, there's nothing we can do of ourselves. That's why it's foolish to say to a lost person, well, you have to turn from all your sin. You can't turn from all your sin. It's like milk in a milk bottle. You can spin it all you want. The milk's still there. We need a payment for sin. God put his love on display towards you and me. How do I know God loves me? Because of what Jesus did for me. God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, just lost in sin. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible tells us as I already mentioned your good works can't save you in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved. Grace is unmerited kindness. For by grace are you saved through faith, faith in Christ. And that not of yourselves. You're not saved of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Salvation's a gift. Look at verse 9. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. Do you understand, folks, that those, most people in the world have never understood that message? They've never understood it. They've been taught that you are saved by good works. You have to do this, do that, and all these things. They don't understand. Jesus did all the work necessary. All he's asking us to do is believe that he did it for us. We needed a payment for sin. Jesus came and he made the payment. And when you believe... All your sins are forgiven. He gives you everlasting life. Now, if you reject the payment or if you disagree with what he did for you, if you say, oh, that's not enough, then you're assuming the responsibility for your salvation. Well, what's the responsibility? To die for your sins. And if you do that, it's a forever thing. How much better to simply believe Jesus has done it because he has. But it's not until you believe that your sins are forgiven and he gives you everlasting life. So if you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ today as your Savior, do that right now. It's a gift. You can get it settled before you ever get up and walk out of here. You can get that settled. The first and foremost thing that we have as a responsibility today in the Great Commission is to preach the gospel to every creature. But secondly, we are to disciple those who believe the message those who trust Christ the savior we are to disciple those who believe in our church church membership is simply discipleship in action it is fulfilling that it is what can we do we are to disciple those who believe how do we do that that is what the local church is about number 1 evangelism number 2 discipleship a disciple is a the word disciple means a learner And the idea is it's somebody who learns with the intent of taking what you learn, believing it, and applying it. That's the ideal. That's where progress is made in the life. It is learning with the intent of applying what you learn. It is turning head knowledge into a godly walk and a fruitful life of following Jesus Christ. That's what discipleship is supposed to be. So we're not just learning to learn. We're not just accumulating information. We're living in a day, folks, when all the information you could ever dream of is available to us. I'm talking about for the believer, even. It's all there. It's not hard to come by if you know where to look. And you can have as much as you want. But listen, filling yourself up with even right knowledge, that's not the end of the process. God wants us to fill up So we can burn and serve him and have an impact on the world. Now, turn with me to Matthew 28. We saw Mark's emphasis is to go and preach the gospel. Matthew adds something to that. And Matthew's emphasis is on not only evangelism, but discipleship. Not just evangelism, but discipleship. Remember, Number one is evangelism. Number two is to disciple those who believe the message of the gospel. So when a person gets saved, now listen, sometimes you're on a trip or sometimes you're doing this or doing that, and all you can do is witness to somebody, and maybe you'll be somewhere, maybe on a plane or whatever, and you'll lead a person to Christ. Well, it's very difficult to follow up on those people. So what should we do? We should still lead people to Christ. It's better to get them saved and they never get discipled, although that's unfortunate. But it's better to get them saved and them never be discipled than to not get them saved at all. But the ideal, God's plan is for them to not only get saved, but then get discipled. Now, we have such a beautiful thing in our ministry is that we have such an extensive amount of material on the internet now to where if you do lead somebody to Christ, let's say in Topeka, Kansas, I don't know why I thought of that, but it came in my eye. You meet somebody, maybe on a trip or this or that, you lead them to Christ. They live in Topeka. Well, you're not going to be going to Topeka anytime soon, but what can you do? You know what you can do? You can say, hey, we have a website that's got so much good stuff on it, Bible teaching from a lot of different pastors and teachers, and you can go there, and there's all kinds of stuff that you can you can learn. It's amazing what you can learn. That is one way we can aid in the discipleship of that person if they don't have a church. But the work of the church is to evangelize and disciple. Disciple Matthew 28, 19, go, Jesus said, go therefore and teach all nations. The word teach is the word that we get disciple. Disciple all nations. Go, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, you see verse 20, teaching them, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So we are to teach, and that's the ministry of the local church, is to teach and disciple people. And that's why it's so important for us to be here and to be part of it and be plugged in and and be accomplishing that in the local church. But you notice one of the things he said, go ye therefore and teach all nations, and then look at the next one, baptizing them. So we are to baptize. Now again, there are people who say, well, you know, that's not for the age of grace. Sure it is. And then they'll make the terrible mistake of saying, Paul never baptized. Well, I don't know where you're getting your teaching, but it's not from the Bible because the Bible does talk about Paul. And he was involved in baptizing people. And so what do you do with that? No, it wasn't his main thing. Just like in our church, our main thing is not baptizing people. We do it, but it's not our main thing. Our main thing is evangelism and teaching. Now, part of the teaching is somebody, once they're saved, should they get baptized? Yes, and we're going to have that in just a few minutes. But baptism is important. Why is it important? Now, can you go to heaven without being baptized? Yes. But is it something God wants you to do as a believer? Yes. But only for the believers we are going to see. Which leads us to our third point today. One of the acts of obedience... Remember he says teaching them to observe all things whatsoever. I've commanded you one of the acts of obedience The lord wants us to fulfill is to be water baptized by Immersion now the other ordinance for the church today is the lord's supper and we just had that sunday night here at church Some people call it communion So I wanted to talk a little bit before we have the water baptism today I wanted to talk a little bit about the issue of water baptism so First thing is this, what is water baptism? Well, it is an ordinance that identifies us with Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf. It is an ordinance, something we're supposed to do as the church, that identifies us with Jesus' death and resurrection for us. It is a testimony and a witness that we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. One source said this, Christian baptism means identification with the message of the gospel, the person of the Savior, and the group of believers. That is what water baptism is. There is no saving power in water baptism. Now, there is one way it's saved. It saves you from a guilty conscience. Peter talked about that, of not standing up for Christ. And so baptism is a public testimony but it doesn't get you to heaven. It doesn't help get you to heaven. Not only that, but who is to be water baptized and when? Now, this is key. It is for believers only, and therefore it comes after a person has believed, not before they believe. Wait a minute. I was baptized as a baby. Doesn't that count? No, it doesn't count. Let me show you this. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Because when you were a baby, you had not, you couldn't understand yet the gospel. And so your baptism that you had, number one, it wasn't by the right method. But number two, it had no saving power. Now, there are religions, quote-unquote Christian religions, they call themselves Christians, that believe water baptism is part of getting you to heaven. The Catholics believe it. Okay, the Lutherans say they don't believe it, but many of them do believe it. It's kind of funny. The Lutherans are kind of funny. They're not sure what they believe on this. You ever look through a Lutheran hymnal? There are many hymns in the Lutheran hymnal that are full of hymns talking about water baptism bringing salvation. And yet they'll say, no, we don't believe that. Well, sure does sound like it. Now, in fairness, I've met plenty of Lutherans who don't believe in water baptism for salvation, who have trusted Christ as their Savior and understand water baptism doesn't save. But yet there's many, many, many who do believe that. In Acts chapter 2, which Acts as, of course, the beginning of the church age, in Acts chapter 2, it says in verse 41, now Peter preached the message, he's preaching the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, for salvation, believing in him, uh, Christ for salvation. And then it says in verse 41, and we're going to kind of move through these rapidly, several passages in Acts I want you to see. In verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word, in other words, they believed what Peter was preaching, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. Notice receiving the word is first. That's believing. Believing comes first. And the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. Go with me to chapter 8, Acts chapter 8. Here is Philip, and he's preaching. And of course, there's this character that comes into the context here named Simon. He was fascinated by the power of the Holy Spirit, but that's a whole other message. Well, I'll touch on it just a little, but look at this. In Acts chapter 8, verse 12, and when they believed Philip preaching, the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, you notice they believed what he was preaching, they were baptized, both men and women. So you notice the order here, first is faith in Christ, then baptism, then baptism. Verse 13, then Simon himself believed also And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and the signs which were done. Now, I can't tell you the amount of people who do not believe Simon was a believer, that he was saved because of what he said afterwards. But folks, listen, newborn babes in Christ, what was it, Art Linkletter used to say that children say the craziest things, the darndest things or whatever? Yeah, even children of God. Newborn babes in Christ will say some crazy stuff. He didn't understand it. He was newly saved, but he was excited. You notice here it says, then Simon himself believed also when he was baptized. He continued with Philip. There's no reason to not believe that Simon was saved at this point. The word for believe in verse 13 is the exact same word for believe in John 3:16. He was also baptized. Now, let me tell you something about Philip and those early disciples. They would have never baptized him had they not believed he was saved. Because it go against everything they knew. No, this guy was saved. Just like we are saved today through faith alone. In Christ alone. And then he was baptized. So what is my point? The point is this. Believe, get baptized. Okay? Verse 12, Acts 8. Believe the preaching, then they were baptized. Simon believed, then he was baptized. Okay? You're in chapter 8. Go further down the passage in Acts chapter 8, verse 35. Here, Philip is talking to the Ethiopian eunuch. He was able to go up onto his chariot. I bet that was cool. But anyways, he was able to get up on there and he's... God told him, go down there. Basically, there's somebody I want you to talk to down there. He went down there, met up with this guy. This guy was reading Isaiah 53. Talk about a divine appointment. You understand what you're reading. He says, how can I unless somebody basically explains it to me? Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus because that's who is in Isaiah 53. And as they went on their way, they came unto certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He understood what Philip was saying. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and a eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Now I, I, I don't know if you ever see it in this passage, but I just think it's the neatest thing. Philip leads him to the Lord. I want to get baptized. Well. The only way I'm going to baptize you is if you believe. You have to believe in Christ. Oh, I believe. I believe. So then he went, he baptized him, he brings him up, and God just, psh, Philip disappears. And I could just see the eunuch being there going, ha, I'm saved, I don't care, you know. <laughs> I'm glad at least I got the message and I'm a child of God now. That's exciting. That's exciting. Acts chapter 16, turn here with me. This is an exciting one. The Lord taught me something during this last week about this issue. We have several children getting baptized today. Now, I know there are some people who say, well, you shouldn't baptize children. They don't get it. They can't understand it. Well, number one, that's kind of arrogant for you to put all children in the same category. Let me tell you something, folks. As we go through life, we get brain dirtied children are so simple, their understanding many times is so clear. Because some people say, well, you know, what's the age? Well, I believe this. If they truly understand it, and they're saved, and they want to get baptized, they should get baptized. I didn't put the desire in them, God did. I think the Holy Spirit's important to obey, don't you? In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas thrown in jail because of preaching the gospel. So here they are at midnight. They're singing away, singing hymns. Philippian jailer, he's a little way detached from them, but he's listening. He's listening. I'm sure he's listening what's going on there. And so there was an earthquake. Things are shaken up, literally. Do thyself no harm. We're all here. Well, he was concerned because, listen, if prisoners got away from a Roman guard, it was his death. So he came in trembling, and in Acts 16, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? By the way, they could have told him anything, right? One thing they told him, verse 31. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And thy house. Now, his house means his household. So evidently, his home was right next to the jail. And he had a family. Keep that in mind. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. So he believed and evidently his family did too. Verse 33, and he took them the same hour of the night, the jailer took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes and was baptized he and all his Straightway, there were children in the house. Mrs. Jailer must have got baptized too, I would imagine, or got saved. Would seem to me from the text, the inference is they all got saved because of Paul and Silas, and then they all got baptized. And by the way, that means children too. Isn't this great? I'm glad we're going through this today. So, then what is the right mode for water baptism? Well, I think the scriptures are clear the right mode for baptism is immersion now that means you go all the way under the water okay you don't get sprinkled on you don't get flicked on or poured on you go underwater and then you come up it is the primary meaning of the greek word baptizo which means to wash or to whelm to immerse is what it is now how do you How do you immerse something if you just sprinkle water on it? No, you're not immersing it. You have to put it under. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Which leads us to our next point. Immersion best pictures the significance of baptism, which is death to the old life, burial, and resurrection to a new life. Death, burial, resurrection. Immersion is a picture of that. Baptism by immersion. No other mode of baptism is a picture of that. No other mode. Only immersion is a picture of that. And immersion is what you see in the scriptures. Romans chapter 6, it's talking about baptism, but it's not talking about water baptism. It's talking about spiritual baptism. But water baptism is a picture of spiritual baptism baptism, being washed, being immersed. Romans 6 verse 1, written to Christians, it says, what shall we say then? Shall we as believers, now that we're saved, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were." Now you notice he's talking about spiritually here, not water baptism. He says, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, here you go, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Obviously, these are spiritual truths. This is not water baptism, but water baptism is a picture of this. We are identifying ourselves with this. We are saying publicly, this applies to me. Verse six, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed. Now, the word destroyed means rendered inoperative or uh, made idle. That henceforth we should not serve sin. We as believers are to willingly identify ourselves and side with the Lord Jesus Christ. What happened to us spiritually when we trusted Christ the Savior It says in Galatians, we're crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God, which loved me, gave himself for me. And so Jesus, when he died on the cross, if this was Jesus, when he died on the cross, he died, he was buried, and he rose from the grave with new life, right? New life. When a person gets baptized, here they are in the baptismal here. If this is the water, it's a wavy day. When a person goes under, they're identifying themselves with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. When you go under, it's like you died, you were buried. You come back with newness of life. You have a new life to live as a believer water baptism is a testimony to that. It's a wonderful truth. We are to stand up for Jesus Christ in the world in which we live and openly live for him. Can I tell you this, folks? In America, it's not a big deal for a Christian. Well, I mean, it's not a big deal as far as the way society looks at it. For a Christian to put their faith in Christ, then get water baptized, we kind of, that's been part of our culture in a lot of ways. I know we're losing a lot of stuff, but still for a long time in America, hundreds of years. But you go to foreign countries, Muslim countries, Hindu countries, Buddhist countries, and you put your faith in Christ. And by the way, you can put your faith in Christ and other people not know. But when you say, no, I'm going to get water baptized as the Lord said I should, you are doing that publicly, and you are running a risk. You're putting your life on the line. Well, you know, those days may come in America. Are we still going to lead people to Christ and water baptized by immersion? Yes, we are. Will we do it publicly? Yes, we will. Because we are not to be ashamed of Jesus Christ, all right? Back to Matthew chapter 28. And so this is something that God wants every believer to do. Matthew 28, and again, verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let me say today, you know, they came out The jailer, going back to Acts 16, just to revisit this, the jailer said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. You notice they didn't say believe and get baptized. They didn't say believe and be sorry and turn from all your sins or promise to live a life of commitment and all that. No, you don't go to heaven by your good works. Good works are good, but you're not saved by good works. You go to heaven through the blood of Jesus Christ and what he did for you on Calvary. So if you happen to be here today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you trust in him today to get you to heaven? Would you put your faith in him, in him alone, to give you that gift of eternal life? He loves you that much. See, he's bought and paid your way to heaven. He's offering you a free ticket. But you have to trust in him. And by doing that, you're receiving it by faith.